We are a sending church. God brings us military families, and we invest in them, and we send them away <laughs> and uh, to, to other places around the world. Uh, we had a, an intern with our student ministries, and, and we sent him recently away to be a youth pastor in Arizona. And God gave us Isaac for a couple years as our intern here, and now he's going off to prepare to, for worship ministry. So it's, it's, it's hard, but great to be ascending church. Can we just, it's been, a, it's been a crazy Sunday, so thank you for worship in spite of actually the, the written words. Can we just thank our tech team uh, that serve so faithfully? Um, Louis uh, Pickler has been our director of tech ministries for so many years, got saved here, baptized here, and been leading. And his goal every Sunday is to not be noticed, that no one will notice the tech. And it, it, outside of our control today, um, there's no one that works harder than Louie. And so I'm just, uh, just thankful for him and, and his team. And you know, it, what, you don't appreciate something until it's gone. Don't you appreciate those words every Sunday? So uh, anyway, so thank you. Thank you for worshiping in spite of the distractions that the enemy was facing today. Even we tried to print off notes and the, the printer stopped working. All right, so that, that's, that's beyond my pay grade. So we, um, we uh, today we are finishing um, a series called Forged by Fire. We've been looking through, and I've been enjoying looking through uh, 1 Timothy through the lens and the filter of leadership. And when you take that, it's like, man, God's Word is so rich and so applicable in so many ways of a, of a young leader being mentored by the Apostle Paul. And, and Timothy was just getting all this mentorship and coaching. And, and the, the, it, the issue is, if you're, if you're a person of influence, leadership is influence. That's the, the shortest, quickest, most accurate definition. If you have influence, you're a leader. If you're a parent, you have influence. If, you have, if you're a grandparent, you have an opportunity to be an influence. Uh, if you're a friend, you have influence. If you're in your workplaces, in your career, if you have influence into other people, uh, these principles apply. So if you have a copy of God's Word, uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 as we land the plane uh, today. We've been talking about how every good, uh, every great leader leads with humility. Paul modeled that for Timothy. Every leader has requirements, has qualifications, has standards, and if you do not meet those standards, you are reduced in your leadership or removed from leadership. It's kind of a hard thing, but a true thing about being a leader. Great leaders have a clear focus. They're not easily, easily distracted about things that really don't matter. Um, wise leaders identify and remove toxic people who will destroy their mission. And that applies for parents and grandparents and anybody in leadership. Today, I mean last Sunday, last Sunday, we talked about leaders model constantly, but here's what we talked about last week. Leaders model that true wealth is not money, but godliness. True wealth is not found in money, but godliness. So I'm going to jump, all the note takers will be happy, I'm going to jump right to the central point today. It's this, is that smart leaders leverage good opportunities that have a greater result. Smart leaders are going to leverage, hey, this is a good opportunity. Why? Because I'm going to leverage that because there are, are great results if, uh, if, I, if I take advantage of it. 
Now, the principle today applies really to any leader in the room. But if you are not a follower of Jesus, a lot of things that I'm going to talk about today, if it's talking about church and, and giving money, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it doesn't apply to you. That part doesn't apply to you. You can just breathe easily and relax. But if you are a follower of Jesus, it's a non-negotiable. All right, it it's, it's applies to believers. But the principle can be applicable to any leader. Because entrepreneurial leaders, they get this. They, they, they're always looking for a good opportunity to, to invest in because they see, hey, there's pr- potential for a great result. Entrepreneurs, just, they're just wired that way. Leaders who reproduce, reproducing leaders get this. Because they're always on a lookout for a uh, young and up-and-coming leader, and they see that young lady, and there's a good opportunity, because I, I believe that she can be a great leader. So I'm going to invest my time and energy into her. This, this young man has the potential. He doesn't even know it. He doesn't even see it yet. But a, a reproducing leader sees that this young man is a good opportunity. All right, uh, we, just, we talked about Isaac right now. It's a good opportunity. And Nash leveraged that. I think he milked every minute of that opportunity because he sees great results of God using him. See, that, that, this is the principle. So good leaders, smart leaders, are always looking for opportunities to leverage for, for a greater opportunity. Now, last Sunday, um, I mentioned Paul was challenging Timothy, a young leader, young pastor. Here's how to challenge people in your church at Ephesus who are poor, who are not wealthy. A lot of them were slaves or late day laborers. And he talked about how that money's not the goal, godliness is. And then um, Paul says, that, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, that, um, the, the main target in that section was those who are poor, but it applies to, really to people with, who have money and, and resources. But he talked about how you need to be godly and content. And he warns, Paul told Timothy, warn those, hey, if you just are all about the love of money and the greed of money, that is going to produce devastating results. Watch out. Be careful. So now Paul, as we land in the plane here, is mentoring Timothy of here's how to challenge those in your, under your influence who have wealth, who have money, who are rich in the present world. That it was written in and applies to us today. So I'm going to begin in verse 17. Read a couple of verses Paul told Timothy this, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, the wealthy, the rich, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I'm not going to teach on it, but I'm just going to say after that, he's telling Timothy, guard what has been really entrusted to you, invested in you. And he's saying, because we always, if we guard something, it means it's valuable, right? 
He's saying, you have been entrusted with spiritual investment. Guard it. Be careful, because some who have wandered from the faith walked away pursuing things that are, they think are knowledge but are not. So Paul is even trying to mentor him to guard what was valuable spiritual investment. Now I have some good news and bad news for all of us today, if you're watch, even watching uh, online. If you live in this country, here's the good news. You are rich. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are filthy rich. Tell them that. You are filthy rich. Now, some of you are not believing me, all right? Like, man, I live pay, paycheck to paycheck or used to see my hourly wage. If you live in America, we're rich. Three billion plus people earn $2 a day. And we think nothing of spending five, six bucks on a coffee. We, we, we don't. We, we, just, we spend money like crazy, and around the world they're going, that's gold, that's gold. And you can always tell what upsets someone who is wealthy, who was who rich. Here, here are several things. If, if you're wealthy, you probably get upset when you receive slow or no customer service. All right, raise your hand if you get frustrated. All right, bye. Some of you are lying, you didn't put your hand up. Because it's like, I deserve that. All right, I expect that. Um, if you're wealthy, you get frustrated when you have poor or no mobile coverage. <laughs> right? Amen? Point to the person next to you like, they have a problem with this. All right? They have a problem with this. All right? Now, here, now here's a little touchy one. The last service got real quiet. You're wealthy if you are upset by how much it costs to fill up the gas in your vehicle. <laughs> right? Why? Because most of the world walks or rides a bike. So we have a wealth problem if we're upset. Now, I'm ticked off at the prices too, all right? I am human, all right? I am human. But, you know, the, that's the good news though. So when you see the price, you go, well, I'm, I'm struggling with this, that means because I'm rich. Here's the bad news. You're rich. Good news is you and I are rich. The bad news is you and I are rich. And becoming wealthy, being rich, really in, in the big picture, there are tremendous challenges. One of them is spiritual, uh, spiritual hindrances. All right, repeat after me. Trust me, I won't take you down a crazy path, all right? This is a true statement. Repeat after me. The more I have... The harder, it is the harder it is to trust in God. See, when our bank account's low and we have no savings and we don't know where it's going to come from, we have no problem praying. Right? Our knees are tired, man, because like, you're like, God, I need you to show up. I'm, and God positionally, on purpose, positions us to be desperate for Him at times. But when we have Wealth, we, it's harder to trust God. All right, here's this. Say, repeat after me. The more I have, the, more I have, the harder it is, harder it is to, be to be content. We're thinking, well, that, well that, that, that's not a, you know, if, we, if we're rich in this world, which we are, we, you know, we don't have a content problem. Oh, no, Americans have a major content problem. Because what we don't have, we just want more of it. If we don't have it, 
well, we can just go and buy it. And I have learned through life that we buy whatever we really want. We'll figure out a way, even if it puts us in debt, which is stupid, but we have a content problem. The more I have, the harder it is to be content. Another challenge of being wealthy is there's a temptation to be prideful. And we don't think we're being prideful, but subconsciously we are. Because we look at what they're wearing, what they're driving, where they eat, and we can become arrogant. Like, I would never shop there. Why are they eating that food? All right, I got to be honest. Can I be honest? Uh, My wife and I were across the the water, um, and we went to Walmart because there was so much traffic on I-5. We got to do Walmart shopping, and we went there. And I had an attitude problem. I already had my notes done. I'm going, why would they wear that shopping? What are they wearing? I would not. Temptation to be prideful. Here's the cold hard truth about money. Because we always think, it doesn't matter where we are on the economic level, we just think, well, if I just had a little bit more. Here's the cold hard truth if I just had more money. More money will not make you happy. More money will not inoculate you from having a divorce. Having more money won't raise your kids better. More money won't give you more character. More money won't prevent you from getting cancer. And more money will not give you joy and peace. Because if that was the case, Every athlete and every Hollywood person would be full of joy and peace, but they're not. Here's a true statement. I should have put it on on the TV here, but it's true. Everything you and I have bought in our life will either break, burn, or get buried in a landfill. Some of you are like, no. Yeah. Everything we purchase in this broken world is going to break, eventually burn up, or get buried in a landfill. We are wealthy. So in this passage, Paul is mentoring, coaching a young leader of a church in a wealthy city that in the church had wealthy people and poor people. And he's talking to, here's how to challenge those who are rich. And he always says, he says, in this present world, and I'll explain why he says that. In this present world, in the first century, their wealth looks different than ours. So the principles still apply for all of us who are rich compared to the rest of the world in this present world. So he says, this is how we need to view, and this is talking to believers, this is how we should view the wealth and the possessions that we do have. First thing for your notes, how to view it is with humility, with humility. Got to understand all good things come from God. So that's why he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant about it, not think we're all that, not look down at people's nose of what they wear and what they drive and, and where they eat and where they shop and look down like I'm up here and they're down here. I am superior. He's warning them. He says, command these people who are rich in this present world, don't get arrogant about it. 
Don't get arrogant about it. And he gives some caution. We should view worldly wealth with caution. All right, so don't get arrogant. He says, nor, tell, tell the rich people this, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. That's why it's harder to trust in God with the more money we have, because when the economy dips, when it tanks, uh, we, uh, you know, they can try to say we're not in a recession. We are. Uh, when there's a recession, when there's inflation, right, with all of us are facing that, when your grocery bill, like, I didn't buy hardly anything, all that's great. But, we, but, if, but, but I got money in the bank. I got money in, in, in this fund and that fund. I can pull from di- different buckets. It's easy to put our hope in that. But we all know money is, just, just has wings, it is so uncertain. And he's warning rich people, tell them and us today, commanding us, don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. God is never changing. God is always faithful. God is way beyond any economic situation. And place your hope in God. When you place your hope there, that's where you have joy and peace. Because money won't bring joy and peace. It'll bring happiness for a moment. But here's another aspect I think that is a proper biblical way to view wealth and possessions. It's also, he says, with enjoyment. So I, I never heard this growing up in church. It's almost, almost like, well, you, know, you need you know, shame on you, and what about this, and what about that, and, and just give more to the church, you know. And, but I would never heard, and it's from the Bible, it's okay to enjoy what God has provided. If you, have, if you have that perspective, you won't get arrogant, and you actually can enjoy it, that God has provided wealth and possessions to me. That's why he says, don't put your hope in money, but hope, hope in God, who, God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. If you understand where the, where the source is, it's okay to enjoy it. It's okay to spend a little money over here and be wise about it, but it's okay to enjoy it. Don't have a guilt trip. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says this, when God gives, again, here's the biblical perspective, it all comes from God, when God gives wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, uh, enjoy them and accept, to accept their lot, this contentment, and be happy in their toil, it takes work to earn, you know, if you do it right, it takes work. He goes, this is a gift from God. All of this is a gift of God. That he gives wealth and possessions. He, as a heavenly father, the best father that you and I can ever imagine of. And some of you have had horrible earthly fathers, and, and he was mean and abusive and cruel. I'm so sad for you. I'm grief for you. But your heavenly father loves you. And when he gives you gifts, when he gives you wealth and possessions, use them as good stewards because he's just letting you manage them. But it's okay to enjoy them. God wants you to. Did you ever give your kids, little kids, presents at Christmas and they're so excited and they rip rip the package all off and in five minutes they're playing with the box and not the toy. You're like, but I want you, why? Because that's in our heart. I want you to enjoy what I gave you. Gave you. And then you think, oh, I'm just going to wrap the box next Christmas, right? 
But this is the most important thing to don't miss about viewing worldly wealth. It's a tool to advance God's kingdom. Again, this is for believers, that God has given wealth and possessions to all of us. But it's also for a tool, not the goal, but a tool to advance God's kingdom. This is what he says. He says, in this way, they, talking about followers who are rich and wealthy, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for this coming age, firm foundation for this coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. If you have the perspective that God has given us wealth and possessions, and he, he desires for us to, to use it in such a way that we're, we're really, we're laying up treasures in heaven. That, that's what these phrases are. Lay up treasures in heaven. That's what Jesus says. He says, don't, don't lay up treasures here on earth where, you know, rot and rust and the moth, they, they destroy things. But he says, lay up yourselves treasures for heaven. That's why he says, where your heart is, your money will be there also. And then he says, as a firm foundation for this coming age, coming age, not the age right now. If you're with us last fall for our Revelation series, we talked about the next age is not the age of man, man being in charge, man's kingdoms. No, the coming age is Christ forever, ever reign in heaven. That's the coming age. That we have, are given wealth, we're given possessions to, to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven for the coming age when Christ is on the throne and we rule and reign with him. It's all about heaven and a smart leader. They understand, I have limited time and limited opportunity on this earth, but I'm gonna leverage the opportunities God's bring before me to invest in something that's gonna have greater results in the coming age, in heaven, in heaven. It's a phrase that I remember as a kid growing up, this life will soon be past, but only what's done for Christ will last. This life, James says is a vapor. It comes and it's gone. Wealth is like a vapor. It comes and then it goes. But God gives wealth and possessions for us to leverage for greater results. And I love this phrase. So we always think about the life here and going to be our best version of ourselves here and, and it's all about here. And he's reminding us about heaven so that we take hold of the life that is truly life. All that we experience in this life, on this broken, sin-filled earth, is difficulties, challenges, conflicts, sickness, disease, and death. It's temporary. But those who go be to the next, go, go, go to heaven, they have trusted in Christ as their Savior, now they're experiencing what is truly life. This life is practice. It's warm up. And God, God says in his words throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, that the treasures we'll have in heaven is based upon what we do in this life. Now we have um, my wife's mother's celebration of life service 
here, Saturday at 1. You're all welcome, if you like. And there's a hole, and there's separation, and there's pain. But my mother-in-law, Karen, she's now living life to the full, full of joy, full of peace, full of happiness. My father-in-law has asked me to share. He goes, I want you to teach on heaven. I'm like, twist my arm. Because that helps us with perspective. If you don't know Jesus, you're putting everything into this sin-filled, broken world. It gives us perspective even with money. See, smart leaders leverage good opportunities on this, this earth for greater results in heaven. So he says, in this way, do all this for this reason. In this way. Well, what, what way? Well, the previous verse, I jumped over on purpose. In this way, we lay up treasures. What's, what's that? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. He's talking about wealth. He's talking about possessions. He's talking about the blessings of God. Do good with it. Be rich. We'll play on words. Be rich in good deeds. I'm going I'm to, who, who can I bless? And then be generous and, and willing to share the wealth that God has provided. Yeah, yeah but, I, but I worked hard and I, you see my, my hours and my shifts and, and I, I do all this crazy because I, I did it. Okay, who gave you the body to do it? But I'm really smart. I, I got all these degrees. Who wired your brain to be smart and get paid for it? God. And he, positioned all, he positions all of us with opportunities to leverage for the kingdom of God. So, so with what God has given us, what are we doing with it? Now, in, in, if you live in this country, sadly, we waste opportunities. We waste wealth. We waste possessions. We just use it, and they break, and we replace it. We waste opportunities with our wealth. How? We're lazy. It's crazy how lazy our country is getting. We, we waste opportunities by being greedy. I, I, just, I just want more. I just want more. I just want more. More. Oh, they have that? I want that. We, 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 are, we waste opportunities by being stingy. Do you notice that you never had to sit down with your child and say, okay, here's how to be stingy with your toys. Repeat after me. It's mine. <laughs> Did anybody of you train your kids that way? Oh, your kids drank out of the same sinful water my kids drank out of. But when we're stingy, this is my money. You'd have an incomplete, inaccurate, biblical perspective on wealth and possession. God says, I, I'm the one that gives it. So we waste opportunities with my money. Or then we're just foolish. I'm just going to drop some cash for that. I'm going to swipe for this. I'm not, I'm not going to think through, is that the best use of money? Again, is there's times you just got to enjoy what God has blessed you with. God wants you to enjoy the blessings. But a lot of times we're foolish with money. We're poor stewards. And we find ourselves in bondage called debt. But living in this country, smart leaders leverage these opportunities for greater results. Here's a couple practical teaching points for that for you. 
I'm going to talk about returning investments. It's a good, wise way to use the money and the wealth that God has given you. It's called returning investment, meaning people invested into you, their time and energy and resources. And they, they gave you time. They, they, they poured into you. And they helped your family. They helped your kids, your teenagers. You have been investing, been invested in, and now you get to return that investment. Now, the practical place, God's, you know, bride of Jesus is the church, the local church. Uh, the church here, if you're new to our church, we try all the time, how can we invest into our people? That's the teaching of God's Word, the emphasis on worship, the opportunities to grow in your faith, to understand God's Word, to understand how to feed yourself with God's Word, how, how, to, how to help your kids understand who God is, and, and help you parent them with pointing them to Jesus, with teenagers, investing in the teenagers so that they in this crazy upside-down world understand what truth is and, and what the Word of God says. We're investing, investing, investing. And when we give back, as the Bible teaches, you're returning the investment. You're like, I have been so blessed. My family has been so blessed. We're going to return it. Why? Because we feel grateful. We, we, we're blessed by God. And, I want, and then we have a transient church. So I teach these principles. If you get transferred somewhere else, you move, take another job somewhere else, make sure you attend a church that teaches God's Word that fits you and your family. And if you are getting fed, you make sure that you return that investment. In fact, Malachi uh, says something like this. It says, God is speaking. Bring the whole tithe. They were, they were robbing God, giving him, they were tipping him. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And he says, test me on this. You have, to, you have to trust God to tithe. Trust me, you do. But uh, in the Old Testament, I'm really thankful that, um, that he's not just talking about the, the sacrificial animals that they would bring for worship. I am so glad we're done with that. Jesus changed it to the new covenant. Because if you came to church, you know, hauling up your heifer into, into the parking lot, and, you know, in the backstage, you know, Pastor Kevin has a whole, you know, you know, sacrificial team there, and there's blood and stuff. I'm resigning right now. Okay, blood's supposed to be on the inside of things, and it goes outside. God bless you, nurses and doctors. Okay, but we don't do that anymore. But he wasn't just talking about bring the whole tithe into the storehouse of the temple, so that the priests and the Levites have their food portion according to the Old Testament law. He's also talking about spiritual food. They came to the temple. They came to learn about the nature of God, the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the pro prophecies about, of, of what God's going to do in the future. And they were being fed spiritual food. And so then they would bring offerings, you know, offerings out of grateful hearts and obedient hearts. When you, when you are faithfully giving, that, that's one way. You're returning investment. Now, I thought of something. I did this years ago. Candy, we should probably do it again. What about a church you grew up with that you got saved in? I remember years ago sending a small check because we didn't have much margin to my church that I grew up in, that I got saved in that I got poured into as a teenager. And God used them. And I, there's hardly any people left there that I know. But I just thought, I had, in my study, I went, I'm going I'm to put this idea. What about returning investment 
to a place that God greatly used. Imperfect, every church is imperfect. But God greatly used in your spiritual journey. Oh, idea. Pray about it. Here's another opportunity is this, is outside investment. Outside of your family, outside of your church family, outside investments, using worldly wealth for spiritual gains, uh, great results. Great opportunity to leverage for outside investments. That means there, there's a worthwhile investment. There's a worthwhile organization that they're doing good kingdom work. All right, they're doing things that they're not the local church. That's where our first priority giving is. But it's beyond that. You, they're doing great kingdom work. I want to invest in that. I'll never meet many of those people. We'll never, you know, run in contact with them. But I, I'm paying it forward spiritually that there'll be great results in heaven. Uh, so in our, in our budget, just for example basis, there, there are organizations that we support. There are uh, missionaries, you know, don't tell you, well, I don't need to support missionaries because Grace Point does. No, there's missionaries that God has brought into our lives or former students that God called them into being a missionary. They're around the world. And every month, different pay, pay periods, we have the opportunity, the blessing to support them. We'll never really see the result of their work. But God does to leverage that opportunity for outside investment for a great return. We also, in every part of our month, we support orphan kids in India. That's what we, we do. We've done other organizations in the past. And, and we, we, we've met that one of the girls once may never meet her again. As an opportunity that they're going to get fed, educated, and hear the gospel about Jesus. And we're, we're leveraging that opportunity for a great return. Now, every, if you're new to our church, you, gotta, you just talk to anybody who's been around a while, they'll, they'll tell you that our pastor loves NFL football, primarily just one team, God's team. God, God's team about the you know, streets of gold and all that sort of stuff. Um, I love the 49ers. But every year... The NFL has this night of honors where they, 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 they give awards for all sorts of things. But the highest award is called the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Every team has someone that is nominated, and then they choose one. So this year, the, the night before the Super Bowl, it really grieved me at first to notice that L.A. Ram was nominated as the recipient of the Man of the Year Award. Why? Because a couple weeks before they beat my Niners by three points and they're in the Super Bowl, not, not the team that should have gone. Um, <clears throat> but then you start, he start hearing the story of Andrew Whitworth. And I'm just watching this and I, told, I think I told Candy, I was like, I bet he's a believer. I did research, he is a legit follower of Jesus on and off the field. And he, what he's been doing, he's been doing for years, how he's been making returning investments and outside investments for years using resources God has given him beyond himself. And he said this right at the beginning. This is so important. He said, because they just showed a video of all that he's doing. And he said, all that we're doing is very important to my wife and I. That what we do to serve and bless others begins in our home. And he wants his children to learn that. There's a parent who has influence, and he's leading. But I said, I want, we're modeling. My wife and I, all that we're doing, I want, 
this really begins in our house with our kids. You see, the NFL award is, is not what they do on the field, it's what they do off the field. And, and a bunch of things that he's, he's been doing for years. Um, one of the thing, one things he did, he's 16 years, and then after the Super Bowl, he retired. That's a long time for an offensive left tackle. Um, he's a really, really good player, but he retired. But for 16 years, every Sunday that they played, he sent $20,000 to a school in his hometown of West Monroe, Louisiana. And, and, and buying just like science supplies, not just athletic gear, but things that help them to learn and to, to graduate with some good education. He would send 20000 to that school and 20000 to whatever city he was playing in, Cincinnati and Los Angeles. When, when the, the, the COVID-19 hit, everything shut down, especially in California, the, the food bank in Southern California was in dire need. On his own, he cashed in and, and sent in a quarter of a million dollars to help the food bank. He helps children and veterans in his hometown and the cities that he plays in. Thanksgiving, he does things. He reinvests on where he grew up and, and where he's playing. Uh, Christmas, same thing. Bikes, kids. I mean, it's just it's huge all the time. And then he shared on that night. He said it was so moving to him that the, during this past season, after they played the, the, the Detroit Lions, after the game, one of the Lions players made a beeline to him running full speed, took his helmet off. He had his helmet off, and he was like, he's coming to me. I don't recognize him. And he goes, I was like, I was getting a little nervous because I, I, I don't know who, who the heck this kid is. And it was Derek Barnes. And he comes up to him, he said, Big Wit, Big Wit. That was his nickname. He goes, you don't know me. But when I was a little kid, you came to my boys and girls club in Cincinnati all the time on your days off. And you sat with me, you talked to me, you encouraged me, you challenged me. And he said this, thank you, Big Wit, for investing in me. And your influence gave me the motivation, like, oh, I'm going to make the NFL one of these days. And he goes, I did it. He was a rookie that let this past year. I did it. Thank you for investing in me. How did Big Wit have this desire to serve and to bless others? It wasn't because he's an NFL player. He learned it from a leader in his life that modeled it for him. Guess who his leader was? Wasn't his coach? It was his grandmother. She goes, my grandmother, she taught me how to serve and be a blessing to others because she would always cook this big meal for people in our community that didn't have any food. And God used her leadership. And she leveraged what she had for a greater result, not knowing her grandson would make buco bucks and invest a lot of money into the lives of other people. This is a little taste of heaven. See, Whitworth is, he, he's illustrating verse 18 in his lifestyle. But my, my prayer, my hope is that when I get to heaven, I'll have people that I never met 
come up and say thank you for investing in me because of your influence that we never met. I heard about Jesus and I'm here today because you gave. That's a biblical perspective. So we're close with this rich challenge. Um, I'm going to read it, and then if you want to take the challenge, you can say it with me, but I'm going to read it first. I am rich, for God has blessed me with more than I need, but I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more and do more, first to God, then to others. If you'd like to take the rich challenge with me, let's say it together. Here we go. I am rich, for God has blessed me with more than I need, but I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more and do more, first to God, then to others. Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul, using Paul to influence and coach a young leader, young pastor, even what to teach, what to what to command to those who are struggling financially and those who are rich financially. And that applies still to this day. Lord, help us leverage great opportunities here, but even greater results in heaven by how we use what you have provided us. For your glory, God, we pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen.